Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast today. Our bonus listener mailbag and our last one of draft season. Man, it has been a grind. We have done a lot of mailbag questions. We didn't quite catch up with the international mailbag or even all the American mailbag questions, but we did everything we could. We're going to get through these last ones here. We're excited for it. We also have interviews with former BYU offensive tackle Brady Christensen and former Florida offensive tackle Stone Forsythe at the back end of the podcast as well. Let's get it. Sergeant Renner reporting for duty. Ha, 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 ha. How you feeling, man? Uh, I'm still reeling from the haircut. <laughs> Have you gotten any other comments besides me and Quinn making fun of you? Yeah, my parents liked it, which is a bad sign. Oh, my gosh. They're like, it looks good. And I'm like, okay, that's how I know. You're screwed. I'm screwed. What about, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, any so, other feedback? So I, I didn't tell this on the other day on the pod, but my barber used to be in the army. And I'm like, just give me a short. <laughs> like, I just want it short because like, it's about to be summer. And oh apparently, he had some. Uh, you guys. told me before we started recording that you look like Jake Gyllenhaal from Jarhead, and I lost I it. Yeah. That is that is spot on. It's spot on. It's a good look, though. I think you could lean into it this summer. I think it would be really. I, I was googling before this how long does hair grow in a week because <laughs> the draft shows next Thursday. Obviously. I'd love to see Google search trends for how long does hair grow in a week because I feel like a lot <laughs> of guys down an bad. An eighth of an inch. Eighth of an inch. That's matters. all I need. That's it all matters. I need. Eighth of an inch matters. Um, all right, let's go ahead now and get mind. into this bonus mailbag here. This is our last one of the draft season. Man, we tried to catch up. But you, the support for two for one drafts yes. has been insane. The podcast growth to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. The podcast growth is like close to like 70, 80 percent over the last like six weeks. We have blown up, and we did not expect okay. this many Easy. questions. We really appreciate everyone's support. The the rule is, and we said this yesterday. The rule is, we will answer. Any question that was not answered in the mailbag in the DM. And also, we'll do mailbags a couple after the draft. Oh, of, 100%. We have, uh, like, over the summer of, like, people were asking more evergreen questions like, mm -hmm. what do you look for in linebackers? Yeah. Well, I, we've shelved some of those. We'll do a mailbag sometime in the summer or something. We could also reset. We could reset the mailbag counter and do some post-draft questions if we want yeah. to get into that. We'll do some more mailbags. We've loved the support of 2 for Draft, so really appreciate everyone who's been listening to the podcast for sure. Definitely share a screenshot on Twitter. Send it to me via DM or Mike with your question. If it wasn't answered, and I'm going to get back to you, dog. I will be up all night answering questions in the DMs if I have to. All right, let's start here uh, with the bonus mailbag. Mikey T7265. Oh, no, we, we answered this one yesterday. That I already is. got to this one. Let's delete this one. Bang. This is from Smichaels. My mailbag question I have this time is I would like to hear a perfect draft with Green Bay Packers from Austin's perspective and what Mike thinks about it. Interesting. So perfect draft, I have to go through all of their picks, first, second, third. You I don't just know. do who's their first, second. Okay. I think um, my perfect pick for the first round is Elijah Moore. I really like Elijah Moore of Ole Miss going to the Green Bay Packers Speaking to me. in that spot. And I know they could chase off at the tackle there. It's a good edge class. And you know I love positional value. You know I'm leaning those guys who get paid a lot of money on those second contracts. But I think Elijah Moore, in terms of the window they have right now, I think that does help it a ton. And getting him in there to complement Devontae Adams with Aaron Rodgers, man, I think that is what takes this offense a huge step forward. And then in the second round, I think they attack – potentially interior offensive line. I think you go after, you know, one of these guys that, you know, Landon Dickerson, Creed Humphrey, um, 
You could go Wyatt Davis, getting into your offensive line on day two. Guys that can come in and start at the back end of round two, grabbing a starter on interior offensive line, I think is something they're more than capable of doing. Say Leatherwood falls that far. Um, I think there's a lot of good interior offensive line depth. Maybe Kendrick Green. That's where my, my, my mind goes. If they don't go tackle or edge in round one, I don't think they need to force it in round two. You can go get starters, take advantage of that window you have right now, and go get a Creed Humphrey, Landon Dickerson, Wyatt Davis in round two. I dig that. The Elijah Moore pick, I mean... I'm praying right now. Brian Gutekunst, you're listening. You're watching. Please bring him home. They need someone. They just have not had a receiver, obviously, outside Devontae Adams, with ball skills. Yeah. Someone who can haul in tough catches. That is flat out have not had that since Fair. Jordy Nelson left. I mean, and Elijah Moore, for his career, 10 drops on 200 catch ball, 5% drop rate. Exceptional. That's what you need. I mean, like, you go back, Alan Lazard was over 10% in college. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was over 10% in college. Someone with actual ball skills, and then for his career, tw- the past two years, 20 of 33 in contested situations. 5'9", 180. 20 of 33. That is exceptional playing through contact. I'm, yes, Elijah Moore. Bring him home, please. Fair enough. All right, let's get to Kidler, Kidder Lindley. As a Bills fan, should I hope for Ed Oliver or write him off as a bust for the number nine pick? I think this was always going to be the case, though. When you drafted him where he was, we kept saying, he's so incredibly raw. What he did at Houston is almost like none of it even translates to what he's going to do in the NFL. He was playing zero-tech nose tackle and firing off two hands into centers. You're never going to do that. And it, like mm-hmm. He's a three-technique. He's 280 pounds. So it was always going to be year three, year four. So no, don't write him off his bust. Mm-hmm. We've seen flashes from him. But it's just like, if you wanted a guy who was going to make an immediate impact, that was never going to be that guy. Like, I just think you had to realize that. And it was kind of like the same thing was said about Rashawn Gary. And like, yeah, Rashawn Gary had some flashes this past year, but it was never going to be year one, year two. It was always, can you develop him into year three or four? Because that's just how it goes when a guy is that behind the developmental curve. You know, he's only 23 years old. You look at this past year, he had a 72.3 pass rushing grade, an improvement from 62.4 as a rookie. But you see some really bleak numbers in run defense. I haven't watched him closely. I plan to watch a lot of the NFL guys in the summer, but a 30.0 run defense grade last year, that's hard to get. That is difficult to get. Undersized. Man. That's what you worry about. Tough to see it. I'm excited to watch him. Definitely going to look forward to that and see where his development is. Let's get to Nebel113. With the Broncos filling needs at corner and the athletic article explaining why the Broncos will not take Michael Parsons at nine would it be too high I haven't read that article yeah. that's interesting would it be too high to pick Owusu Koromoa personally would like them to trade up to four if Lance is there but like Owusu Koromoa if Lance is gone I agree that the move has to be to go up to four because Lance is going to be there I, or, or or Fields will be there I mean you have to go up to four and go get Lance or Fields I really do and I think the price is worth it a future first round pick and likely maybe a future second or future third and obviously the number nine overall pick to go get a quarterback that's an objectively a better prospect than Drew Locke is the move. That's what you do. You're not a JOK, Micah Parsons, Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn away from winning football games in Denver. You are a good quarterback away from being consistently competitive. And I do think that Wusu Koromo, I think, would be a bit high at nine, especially when you consider positional value. Mm-hmm. But the, if the Denver Broncos come out of this without a quarterback... I'm gonna. I'd be really concerned because then you're going to go into next year just needing one. Like if, if we're I mean, most likely needing one. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. We've made that clear. I we think the Broncos. Bet, we beat that horse. Yes. Nine though for Us Carmo. I just the fit in Vic Fangio's defense. He's never had hybrid linebackers. Like he's gotten to 
two like 235 plus pounders is kind of his mo is like they stick him in the middle and that's it just that i don't think there's a role for him like i don't think he's a great fit so i, I think nine like can he do it yeah but i just don't think that that's ever been a role in vic fangio's defense basically the role that jeremiah was carmo was kind of ideal at the nfl level yeah all right moving to mad dog underscore 2021 you find yourself in an alternate alternative reality wherever where whichever player each team drafts in the first round becomes cloned 22 times and must start all at all 11 spots on offense and defense for the team that drafts them what are the top five prospect rankings this one's tough because obviously matchups are going to be huge here yeah if you get a lee mcneil going against rondale moore it's going to be i don't know how that's going to play out like i think i know how it's going to play out yeah mcneil's <laughs> going to have uh gonna win there but the guys i think would be the the best would win the most mm -hmm. justin fields trey lance yeah I, those have to be your first two have yeah. to be maybe even trevor lawrence honestly yeah. lawrence just like skinny though right yeah he would just get broken in half long your offense line would just be injured you don't have a player ranked here that needs to be ranked but i'll, I'll get to that soon aline mcneil obviously you saw him play running back back in the day if you just shed some like you I think like each player would be able to like revamp their body Hopefully. into a way. I mean, in this universe, yeah. anything's possible. Exactly. Micah Parsons also. And then Rondale Moore, just for the Maybe Kadarius Tony slipped in there because he threw that ball like 80 oh, yards. Yeah. That could I be an option. And then the other guy I think you have to include in here is Felipe Franks. It's like six foot six, yeah. 250, and with a cannon. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm Although interested. it's like, is, is Felipe Franks any more accurate than Kadarius Tony? Who knows? <laughs> but he ran a four five eight, I think, or something crazy. Yeah, like Kadarius was... Tony can reportedly has said he can throw a ball 80 yards. I think yeah. Kadarius Tony has he to be put in the mix. Maybe even, yeah. I think you have to kill Lee McNeil from these rankings. It's fun as it is. You're just but not. He dominates the lines, like, True. lines. What do you. I guess an offensive an, line of of all Lee McNeil's but then you first, just pass them. yeah, it, it, you're gonna have no time. You just throw wide screens, yeah. Who's the coach? Is it also the coach? Yeah, <laughs> Lee McNeil's also the coach. All right, let's go. Nerds like beer too. Please explain these drinking games. Yeah. They also want us to explain drinking games. Eventually, we will. Now for football. After these crazy pro day numbers, Atlanta has four. Atlanta at four has the chance to take a true blue chip in Sewell, Chase, or Pitts. If they stay at four, who's the best fit for the team? Also, what's a realistic haul they could get for the pick from a QB needy team? I think we did the realistic haul. I think it was I said first, first, and first, first and future. First That's if third. Denver's trading. Yeah. Um, Pitts is, I think, the best fit if you're taking a non-quarterback there. I think I've come around to if they do if they're just staying at four, your best bet's gonna be a quarterback. Like mm -hmm. that has the most value to you. Yeah, it's not gonna play this upcoming year but the trade value of quarterbacks is undefeated so yeah. i think we've seen that like a, you either trade the pick or you draft quarterback there if, with how highly thought of this quarterback class is but pitts is the guy if if they are picking a position player that i'd go with i think i tweeted you know maybe a month ago six weeks ago that like if they take anything but a quarterback at four it's definitely malpractice like you have to if you stay at four i think you have to take it because yeah and the guy i would like Trey Lance, the interesting thing about Trey Lance is everyone kind of has the same opinion of him, where mm -hmm. it's like this guy's tools are off the charts. He shows anything, everyone's buying it. Yes. Everyone wants yes. that guy then. Like you show anything, kind of less like when Darnold was coming in. It's like oh, everyone's so high in him. All you got to show is a flash, two games. And you get a, like a second or fourth, like you immediately get your value back for that mm -hmm. guy. And you can get that and then some if mm -hmm. Trey Lance becomes good. So that's where I lean there. All right. I'm Chief Keith, 
also a Patriots fan. I think this with the moves we've made in free agency, we very well could be in the QB market come draft time. But think, assuming the first three quarterbacks, Lawrence, Wilson, or Fields, are off the board, that if Trey Lance or it's Trey Lance or bust for us, I can't foresee a way that Mac Jones can operate a successful offense with how we still really have ass cans, ass cans at receiver. <laughs> I'm just curious of your take on my opinion. Ass cans. Um, <laughs> the way it's built right now, the way that offense is built. They did build it for Cam Newton mm -hmm. with the two tight ends and that offensive line. So, which, which one, which one, which quarterback plays more like Cam Newton or like looks more like Cam Newton? Is it Trey Lance or is it Mac Jones? Yeah, it's obviously Trey Lance in that scenario. Although it's like, which quarterback looked more like Tom Brady? Is it Trey Lance or Mac Jones? Uh, so, I, I will say teams are sort of like your position, your personnel can change quickly that I wouldn't base it off of that. I'd base it off of who he thinks better for my team. But I I think everyone has said, oh, it's Mac Jones for the Patriots. Yeah, they could be the team that moves up to four and goes and gets Lance. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think it's going to be between Denver and New England looking yeah. to come up and grab, you know. QB4. Yeah, QB4. All right, let's go to – okay, before we jump off, actually, who is a team that hasn't been mentioned as a trade-up, a potential trade-up team that, could, that would be a surprise trade-up for a quarterback? Because we've mentioned Denver. We've mentioned Washington. We've mentioned New England. Is there another team that you're like, I mean, no one's thinking Bears. about it, but maybe. So I, I really don't think anyone else would even consider a quarterback. Like the Giants, obviously, and Gettleman, he's tied. Chargers, Minnesota. Minnesota would be the one who's like, that would be interesting. Mine is Vegas. You think Vegas? I, I, I'm trying to think of a surprise. A surprise team. Could be Vegas. I don't think I don't think it's going to be a surprise team. I just Fair. think like it's Chicago's like the then the last team there that's like that could be. Well, that exercise there. sucked. Well, it was a bad question. Yeah. All right, Zach Bennett, thoughts on the Raiders drafting a top defender at seventeen and then trading back into the first round to get a right tackle? I could see trading up all the way back in the first round to play. Like, that's going to cost you because you're sitting there middle of the second. You got a ways to go. What would that cost? Could, like a future second, maybe even a future first. Yeah. Uh, may, yeah, probably like a two and three. Um, I could see monitoring the tackle class and being like, okay, this one's off the board. Mm -hmm. This one's off the board. Maybe okay, trading up now, in the second round. Like there's one one left that we like. Let's move up 10 spots. Mm -hmm. But moving all the way and just being like, all right, there's five still available. I want Cosme, 29. Yeah, yeah. That I'm not, I can't get on board with. What defender would you like at 17 for them? Micah Parsons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael Parsons, 17. I think Barmore at 17 is another one. I think I like 17. Um, this is from Wack Jalice. What should the Bucks do with the first round pick, seeing as they have a pretty complete roster? Draft for D line depth, trade back, or my dream scenario would be drafting Rashad Bateman to pair back up with Tyler Johnson and act as a potential Godwin replacement. Yeah, I think you go a number of different ways. Uh, and again, you're at a position that you want to be at as a roster where you can't really go wrong you can't you're, you're just going to trust your board and say but i think the two most intriguing options and i do love rashad babe in there but Kadarius tony be really intriguing to me because him on option like he only ran these like option routes last year that's a lot of that is what tom brady loves to throw to over the middle of the field from the slot like he is deadly on those routes um he's an interesting one and then just offensive line depth saw last year you have a great offensive line. You have a thin offensive line. One guy goes down. I don't know how you're necessarily placing him. The guy I've said is Leon Dickerson. Now, obviously, the knee, whatever, have to vet that. 
but he's played all five positions along the offensive line over the course of his career between Alabama and Florida State. So if you need a guy to step in right away, that would probably be your best bet. Like someone goes down in the playoff run, all of a sudden you don't necessarily have a hole anymore because you got Land Dickerson. And inevitably, offensive line's injury strike, no one stays healthy for 16 games in a full playoffs. 17 games. God, excuse me. 17 games, man. That's got to get got to get that in your head. This is from Foot and it's called Foot BHFDG whatever. Nice. In my opinion, the Eagles are in an interesting purgatory at 12 where we are less likely to get an elite prospect like Pitts or Chase, but can get a, but can get a good player that can only solve one need. We've seen the Eagles trade up twice for Wentz. Could they trade down twice? Would it be smart and feasible to trade down to late in the first mid 20s and then using that draft capital and their day two, day three picks to trade back into the late first. With this, the Eagles could, in theory, get Owusu Kormoa and Bateman slash Marshall Jr., allowing them to have two higher success rate picks and solving their two biggest needs with fewer question marks and their surrounding players. Yeah, I mean, they could. I, I also think they're going to get one of the top three wideouts. I just think they will. Hey, look at the board. You got Atlanta. They would really only one they would take is Pitts of the top, I guess, then four receiving options. Cincinnati, likely. Miami, likely. So you got two receivers off the board, say that. And that's worst case scenario. Detroit's not going to. Detroit would then probably take offensive alignment before they take wide receiver. Carolina's not going to take a wide receiver. Denver won't. Dallas won't. Giants, possible. But I bet they go offensive line. That leaves, I mean, like it's very, very likely you're going to get one of those top three. And if you don't, well, hell yeah, then trade down. But it, obviously it takes two to tango. There would have to be like a quarterback or someone really that has fallen there. So I, I think you're going to go player 12, though. I also don't know which teams are going to be interested in trading up necessarily to 12. I, I always come back to like what, if there's no quarterbacks on the board. Who's, yeah. who's, who's moving up or what, what player is someone moving up for there? Because the, in that scenario, kind of all the guys we've said are blue chip players are gone at that point. As a lifelong Steelers fan, this is from Austin Stash. As a lifelong Steelers fan, I'm in, I'm in the camp to, of draft J.C. Horn or whichever top corner slips at 24 or trade back. I think that having another starting corner has more immediate impact on winning games and drafting the fourth or fifth tackle when you get a legit tackle in the second round still or Javante Williams, please. My take is I don't know if J.C. Horn's going to fall that far. I think if you look in the betting markets right now, it's like, like a 12 and a half. Yeah. Like I think he's going to or I think it might be 14 and a half, wherever mm -hmm. it is. I think J.C. Horn's going to go inside probably the top 17 picks. For that reason, I think where the value does stack up, I don't think you should look at it as you're drafting the fourth or fifth best tackle. You're drafting a very good offensive tackle at 24. Yeah. Like you can get maybe Derisaw, maybe Tevin Jenkins there at 24. I think those two guys could be available to them at 24. And that I do think maybe, maybe an elite corner has more impact on winning games. You're splitting hairs at that point, though. I think a really good offensive tackle for the Steelers could be massive. Yeah, and so we talk about this is a very deep tackle class. Very deep tackle class means you can go get a good one at 24. It doesn't mean you can get a good one at 55 is the thing. And it's like a very good deep. It was kind of like last year's wide receiver class. Great wide receiver class. By pick 49, it was over. Like, it was kind of just like there wasn't a lot available for you in terms of guys who you felt good about making an immediate impact. That's kind of how I feel about this tack class. I'd be very surprised if even if even you're sort of, if you're the Chargers at 47. I'd be surprised if you're sitting there and like, oh, I can get a starting tackle. I think they're going to be gone by then. 
jumping to Lanky Stag. My question is, what would the ideal three-round draft the New Orleans Saints look like? They currently have picks 28, 60, 98, and 105. Thanks. Keep up the fantastic work. All right. First-round pick, 28, Terrace Marshall, the LSU wide receiver. A little something different to the table. Now, rumored injury concerns hasn't been necessarily disclosed, but he did have a few injuries over his time at LSU. That remains to be seen, but 28, I think value would be great there. Second round, 60, Kelvin Joseph, a.k.a. YKDV boss man fat. The, he's put out six albums, I've learned. Um, six the, albums? The Kentucky cornerback, yes. Are they good? Comes, coming back home from when he went to LSU and transferred, obviously, after getting suspended for the bowl game. Um, I haven't listened to any of them, but he has put out six. I respect that he has. Um, camp sample then at 98 or somewhere in the third. They're obviously going to trade one of those third-round picks to move up in the second. Of or first, course. So, yeah. They should trade 98 and 105 to go up to like 50 or something and try and, get, try and make a big play. And that's when they get YKDV boss man fit. I like that. I like that. All right. Camp sample the two-lane defensive end. This is from TTY Grisman HD. My question is, do the Saints draft for need? Do the Saints draft for need, which is cornerback? or take some kind of value that drops. I also, if a Kyle Trask falls to our 60th overall pick, should we take a shot on him or get another receiver? Before you answer, I was on uh, Tampa Bay radio hit yesterday, JP Peterson, I'm with him every single week. And he was talking, he sh shared a on the air, a quote from Jason Light, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers GM, talking about drafting quarterbacks in the middle rounds. Remember when we had that conversation about yeah. which team should draft quarterbacks in the middle rounds, like these developmental guys. And he said, we're in a unique position to do so. And what was interesting is that because we have good coaching staff and we have a coaching staff that can develop young quarterbacks that is in a position to do so mm -hmm. because we already have a good one and it's not a priority right out of the gate and we're not, it's not a brand new coaching staff. We're not handling a lot of different things. And it got me back to thinking, it's like we used to talk about like what team needs that. It's like, I do think the teams that should take flyers on the Jamie Newman, Kyle Trask, Kellamond, Davis Mills of the world are ones with a legitimate coaching staff with like consistency across the board that can actually manage taking on a quarterback and yeah. developing him. Because if you, for example, as good as maybe Urban Meyer's staff is, Robert Salah, I, I pronounce his name terribly every single time I say it. I don't know. I'm sorry. But I'm, these other coaching staffs where you're like, you're bringing in a bunch of new faces to throw the development of a young quarterback drafted in round two, round three at those people, I think would be very tough. I think you have to kind of take into account like, what are you as a franchise and where are you at? from a coaching perspective with the familiarity of your quarterback's coach, your offense coordinator, and your starter to do it. So I do think that um, I found that interesting. I think teams like Pittsburgh, who have had Mike Tomlin and that staff for a while, Tampa Bay, those are those are areas where I think you can swing the bat on those guys and feel good about developing them accordingly. Yeah, but I don't think Kyle Trask is a great fit for New Orleans. <laughs> no, no, fair, 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 fair. But I was just, just say, I, yeah. it just got me thinking about the conversation about like who, what who, types who of should. teams take them, you know? Yeah. What's your take on Kyle Trask to New Orleans? And uh, then, I just don't yeah. love the fit. I don't, I don't think he fits great for that offense there, like his underneath accuracy. And now, obviously, Sean Payton is a wizard. I'm not sure he's tied into one certain brand of football, but that is what he's done for the past decade and a half with Drew Brees. I, his like timing and underneath accuracy is kind of at least something to be desired, Kyle Trask. Fair enough. All right. This question is from, don't read this name. Oh, God damn it. Gotcha. My question is how, if you factor it, how slash if you factor intangibles into prospect grading? It's a toughie. It, it, we try, honestly, not to, I'd say. Like mm -hmm. We try to focus on like what you did on film. And if you have good intangibles, that should have 
shown at this point. Or like that's mm-hmm. like that shows on a football field. And if you have maybe bad intangibles, but you're still a fucking great football player, some guys are. Yeah. Some guys piece of shit and are multiple pro bowlers. I think so. that's like the most common counter argument too i think a lot of people look at pff and they see how we evaluate players and like what you don't factor in what time he gets there and what time he leaves and how strict he is on his diet and how nice he is to everyone let's see it on the field when that impacts the game when it impacts his play that's when it gets counted you know if he is the first guy in the last guy out i hope he grades above 70 you know i mean he's he's grinding for a reason and i think those intangibles that's the biggest thing those intangibles should show up on the football field the problem is i don't know I don't know how you factor in intangibles that have positive effects on others into yeah. a prospect's grade. That's the hard part. That's it's like this guy Building brings up the team. He brings up the defensive line. He yeah. makes it fun to be at the you know Patriots or whatever. Like it's the he as the that's let's just call it what it is. Impossible for us to know. Like it's impossible and for that, us to factor and, in. And that's like something that's unique to your roster. Yeah. Like the the Seahawks can bring in a ton of, you know a-holes for lack of a better word in that you know when they were the legion of boom guys who just all big ass personalities who were brash and you know maybe didn't get along with everybody and have it work because you have Pete carroll at the helm and whatever but that that guy might not fit into another locker room where it's a different culture you know like earl thomas can go to baltimore and they'll be like hey fucking kick rocks dude we're not gonna let that fly so yeah it's interesting. It's definitely an interesting discussion. It's one that you know we don't factor in, but I do know is a big factor in where these guys get drafted. It's a massive factor in yeah. you know which team, how teams con- you know construct their boards. Yeah. Um, this is from Pat Ellipsis CPE. Hey guys, which day one or day two receiver prospects do you think are the best fit for the Patriots? <sighs> don't say Deami Brown. Just don't. Yeah, I, I think Terrace Marshall. I think they need someone with speed. Someone to be catchers now. Are they He's got in a, long arms. I think, what, 33-inch arms? Yeah. Now, are they in a position to necessarily get him? Well, after the medicals, possibly at 46, but I, I do think that would be their best fit of the guys that are in a realistic range for them. That would be sick. Terrace yeah. Marshall in the second would be hot yeah. for New England. It's known to kill Harry, but... All right, Dylan Singer. Which scenario for the Giants in this year's draft is better for round mock? First one, Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle Northwestern. Joseph Asai, edge defender, Oklahoma State. Tay Gowan, cornerback, UCF, PFF guy. Jalen Darden, wide receiver, North Texas. Or, other scenario, Micah Parsons, linebacker, Penn State. Interior offensive lineman, Wyatt Davis, Ohio State. Quincy Roche, Miami edge defender. Roche. Roche. Cornell Powell, wide receiver, Clemson. I like option one. I like option one, I think. This one's tough. It's tough, though. It's close. Um, He didn't go completely unrealistic, which I respect. I'll go option two. Personally. Interesting. You like Parsons like fine at corner. Um. Yeah, I just think Parsons is like so Slater in this scenario. Slater's playing guard for you if you're drafting with the Giants. Yeah. So you're not moving Peart to guard. You're not moving uh, Soldier to guard. I don't think those guys are six seven, six eight. Like those are huge ass guards. Um. Yeah, so I think Slater would have to play on in the interior. Um. And it's like Slater versus Wyatt Davis on the interior. Now I know his knees are kind of effed Wyatt Davis, but yeah, I think we'll go option two. You go option one. Interesting. Yeah. It's tough though. It's a really good question. It's a really good, it's a really good um, two scenarios, man. Didn't go completely unrealistic. Like I remember we do some of these and it's like getting like four first round players in the first round. I think there's some more. Love to see that. All right. This is from Austin Gale's mustache. 
a common common thread. Prospects. My question is about the Broncos and Panthers. At eight and nine, their best shot without a trade up is either Trey Lance or Mac Jones. For the Broncos, would you rather have would you, would you rather they get a solid baseline to Mac Jones with all the offensive talent they already have, or go for a home run by having Trey Lance sit for a year? That home run, dude. Swing for the fences. You got Pat Mahomes in your fucking division. Yeah. You know? And Herbert, who's looking yeah. pretty And Derek Carr. And Derek. <laughs> Derek Carr is Mac Jones. Yeah. Don't you have that as the comp in the draft guide? Yeah, that was. So fight fire with fire. Um, no. At Trey Lance, swing for the fences. Make a make a big play. Do you think Fortune favors the bold? Do you think Trey Lance do you think QB four, whoever it is, QB four and QB five fall to nine? Do you think, or do you think five quarterbacks go in the first eight picks? Uh, QB five might. Okay, I could, I could see that, but I I do think they're. That's going to be interesting because if Mac Jones doesn't get taken at three, I'm really interested to see when he ultimately comes off the board. Would it be yeah. nine to Denver or all the way fifteen to Washington or not Washington, to New England? Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think um, again. This draft, man, it's going to be sick. I'm so stoked for day one. Man, I'm so stoked. Remember, you can watch the draft and hear the drilling, I'm sure, on the podcast. Watch the draft. We're going to be live on YouTube, PFF.com, and Twitter all three days of the draft and for three hours the day after the draft. Come to it. We're three hours after the draft. That one's... It's going to be fun. Hitting snooze. (laughs) All right, this is from James Durbin Fanatic. Do you think that without the concussion concerns, Jalen Phillips will be the consensus number one edge and a top 10 pick? I don't know. So his tape is definitely better than like Quiddy Pay's Jason Noway. But Quiddy Pay and Jason Noway are definitely freakier athletes. So it's, I wouldn't, I don't know if he'd be consensus number one edge, top 10 pick. I don't, I don't think so. Fair. I don't think it would be consensus would mean everyone would be yeah. saying it like Chase Young last year. Um, so I, I don't think that would be the case. But he definitely does, like I said, have better tape coming out. I think I think Jalen Phillips definitely gets a bump. Maybe gets inside the top fifteen, maybe a top fifteen, top sixteen yeah. type of lock. But I do think that uh, consensus, no way. I mean, there's so many different opinions on every position. Yeah, I don't think there's a consensus at any position really, outside yeah. of maybe quarterback. And he's also definitely would qualify as like one year wonder type of like he back at UCLA it was not the same guys. He yeah, was yeah, this past very year, true. Very true. All right, this is from in Douglas we trust. If there were a Hunger Games with every NFL starting quarterback right now pre-draft, who's winning? Man, that one's tough. Give me a second. Hunger Games. Hmm. Because I don't, you need survival skills in Hunger Games. Yeah. Because there's going to be some quarterbacks that are willing to play the long game. Some speed. I don't think like size matters. Fitzpatrick's a dark horse for me. Yeah. Fitzpatrick would. Josh Allen's not a bad bet. Rodgers is probably like, seems like you get out of here, you Packers homer. Rodgers getting sniped day one. That's not true. You don't want to pick a big name quarterback because that's they're gonna have a target on their back. You don't think you want to be the first guy to kill Tom Brady? You know what? Okay, I got my answer. It's Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's good because he's so small. He could hide inside the hole of a tree. Kyler Murray's like a squirrel. That's true. Kyler Murray's a great pick. Great pick. I actually I like Ryan Fitzpatrick as a betting dart horse, but Kyle Murray might be my pick as well. But Tom Brady, I feel like he's gonna have a target on his back. Russell Wilson would also be up there. Although he's a little too... Yeah. His self-awareness is not high. I don't know if I like that one. All right, this is from Guilfoyle Lucy 4 When NFL teams with average linebackers just be better off playing six or seven DBs at once, if you can grab a middling college safety and turn him into Matt Milano, what's even the point of investing in a traditional off-ball linebacker? Teams are going that route. Like Teams are not investing in off-ball linebackers. But I will say, like when you are going light boxes... It's almost more important to have a linebacker that could stop the run than it is to have a linebacker that can cover. 
Like they're not getting targeted when you have, like I said, light box. When you when you have other like five six DBs on the field, they're what they do in coverage doesn't necessarily matter. But if they can fucking stop runs left and right, that's a value add because then you don't have to have the safeties come up and play, which is kind of the beauty of Brendan Staley's defense last year. So I, I do think they're still there's they're not completely dead. They're moving that way though. Yeah, no way they're completely dead. No, it's interesting. I was thinking you know, we talk a lot about how many defenders defenders are in the box. What about total weight in the box? How much mass do you have in the box? <laughs> Which teams play but, with the most mass in the box? But that's kind of like what those teams are doing is like get two guys that can stop the run at defense tackle. Mm-hmm. Don't give a shit of what they do with the pass game. Yeah. And then it's like then that can a guy that can legitimately two guys that can legitimately two gap takes two gaps out that you don't need your safety to be there for fair enough all right this is from young washington give me great draft perspective on draft overall oh wait this is not the question for washington football team how do you think they will attack the draft broad i like it i think they're going to be on the phone mm-hmm. they're going to be saying hey what's it going to take but i also don't think they're going to be able to get it done because then you think about you just look at look at their options they're kind of in a carolina-esque situation say a quarterback does fall um eight nine are your two options then to get a quarterback and i would assume like denver had already moved up so it'd be atlanta carolina they're moving down 12 spots or 11 spots to go back to you that's just a far cry so maybe then the guy falls to 10 dallas is not gonna trade in the division giants aren't gonna trade in the division philly's not gonna trade in the division 10 11 12 then once it gets to 13, it's like that, that he's going to be off the board. Yeah. QB five. So you're kind of just in a, in a tough spot. I think you stand pat and just prioritize keeping young talent in this roster. Like get more because mm-hmm. you got so much, like you get enough young talent and then you can just ball out in free agency here soon. I would also say young talent, and I, this is beating a dead horse, but at premium positions, because you have to pay a lot of these guys soon. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne. I mean, you have a lot of guys that are going to be asking for second contracts here soon. You're going to need to get cheaper somewhere. Don't get cheaper at safety. Don't get cheaper at running back. I yeah. saw a mock draft that had a running back going to them at 19. Ooh, you can say it. It was Pete Traggers. Pete Traeger. But, I mean, that's what he's hearing. That's what he's hearing. Yeah. But it's fine. But I'm saying you don't want to get cheaper there. If you're the if you're the football team, I don't care about needs. If you like this running back over Antonio Gibson, I don't care. I mean, I mean they should just they should be players in the tackle class. Yes, they should saying. be. Exactly. They should draft one of these. But I, I mock draft a tackle to Washington, and I almost have my throat slit in D.C. People don't want tackle. People want sexiness. People want the sex. My, put that on a quote graphic, Sofaro. All right, this is and from... Put Austin's face, dead center. <laughs> people like, want the sex. People want the sex. <laughs> What do you think of this hat, by the way? Got recently. Rafters? You big Rafters guy? Big Rafters guy. Do you wear it like ironically? Is yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel I about that? I don't love that. Don't love that? No. It's better than I mean, the it's fucking cool military cut. I used to have my first jersey I ever got was the Vince Carter Rafters. Oh, the, the Vince Carter one was dope. Yeah. The retro? White or dark? Well, just like it was the the one at the time that was like the, the purple one. Oh, the purple one. Yeah. All right. This is from Lydia Cash. With the Giants picking at 11, assuming Parsons is off the board, is it too soon to draft JOK? And is he too similar to guys we already have on the roster? Everyone wants JOK. I don't think that's I don't think that's too soon, honestly, there. He's he's the positional scarcity poster boy. That where are you gonna get where else gonna get a JOK? True. Jeremy Coromo, the Notre Dame linebacker, who's two hundred and twenty pounds, but can play linebacker, can play safety, can play slot corner that's 
you know, smaller Isaiah Simmons, but honestly more of a fluid Isaiah Simmons. Um, so I wouldn't hate it. I think they need a lot. I, like, I don't know. I kind of like Slater there. I like Devontae Smith there a lot. I think Devontae Smith, if he's there at 11. As, man, yeah. The amount of teams that are going to pass on Devontae Smith, I think, is going to be like CeeDee Lamb-esque last year, which is really? like, damn. Like, you couldn't have used a CeeDee Lamb. I know, like, you maybe got one, maybe you got two, but, like, you probably could have used a CeeDee Lamb still. You think he falls past 16? or where, Maybe where not 16. CeeDee Lamb went 17 last year. Judy went 15. But I... I don't think it falls necessarily that far, but like I said, there's going to be teams that are going to pass on him, and then Devontae Smith. If the Giants and the Eagles pass on him, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, I think the Eagles. That's why I keep saying the Eagles are in a good spot to get a wide receiver. Nice. Austin is handsome with the stash. Wow, what a username from this kid. All right, as a Bengals fan, with the Dolphins moving up to six and Lions needing both linemen and literally anyone to catch the ball, how much does it take to be worth potentially missing on Chase or Sewell at five? And should they stick at five and take Chase? I want the fireworks to make up the offensive lines were neglected for so long. Which linemen best fit their new wide zone scheme at 38 and potentially 69? Yeah, they're tough because you think about who they'd realistically move down for. Not going to be Detroit. Not going to be Carolina. Denver would be the first team. And that's assuming Atlanta drafts like Cal Pitts. So if you move down that many spots, I think you're taking yourself out of the Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell sweepstakes. And I don't think you want to do that. So I, I do, it would take a good deal then for me to do so. Probably like another first. Mm-hmm. I don't know if to give up four spots, are you going to give up another first? You'd never, maybe. I don't know. But that's probably what it would take. I would agree. This is Jags fan 16 plus urban. I'm in a constant argument with my friends that the Jags should not draft a running back in the first two rounds, even if one falls. Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams. We have to marry we have too many holes and have Robinson on a and a UDF on an UDFA contract. What positions would you target at the Jags for the Jags in the first two rounds? And what is a realistic win total? Definitely not running back. Uh win total is tough. You're not really uh I mean, rookie quarterbacks, you just never really know. I, I think with this roster, 7-9, 6-10 s- is where you would... They play 17 games. 6-11. What the hell? How many would that add up to? That's it. 7-10. and 10? That's yeah, it. That sounds awful but to say. But... Again, the Jags' current win total is 6.5. Would you bet that over or under right now? So 17 games, I bet over. Nice. Because um, you're going to have a top 15 quarterback. Yeah. Star. You just are. Just are. Um, I, I would love for them to keep pumping into this defensive line. Honestly, make that strong as hell. Yep. Uh, obviously the other safety. reason to bet the Jags over six and a half, just to comment again on that, bet wherever you can get your sports book here. Um, I'm fading the Colts a little bit with Carson Wentz. Definitely fading Houston. Yeah. And then division. I think Tennessee could regress a little bit. Losing uh, Corey Davis. They lost their two starting quarterbacks. That's would be difficult. Yeah, two starting to. corners. Lost Corey Davis. Although lost John Smith. Like Adore played last year, but yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm interested to see you know just how good Tennessee is again. Like, I mean, with with losing a lot this offseason. Did. I mean, Jags. I'm not saying Jags win the division. I'm not saying Jags win the division. I think they're like Sounds plus like plus eight hundred to win the division. But All over right. six and a half wins, I'm, I'm kind of keen on it. I'm in. All right. Eight and a half. Nice. All right. This is from. Wait, can you do half wins now with 17 game schedule? Yeah. Yeah. They just did it. Six and a half. I'm saying, never mind. Um, just go. Do you think the market moves at all after Trevor Lawrence's pick, though? Probably not, right? It would be absurd. I think you that. probably want to get that bet in before the draft, though. I might slam it. I'm going to be rooting for the Jags next year. All right, this I is hate from... long-term bets, though, because it's like... Yeah, you keep your money all... all... Yeah, we just invest in GameStop first. Yeah. 
Well, no, invest in the Jags. How about invest <laughs> in the Jags? Uh, to the moon season. All right, this is from Fade Russ West. I know there are a lot of universal maxims that PFF has. For example, never trade future picks for a non-quarterback. I was curious if you guys would have a reflective conversation about team-specific expectations to some of those maxims. For instance, consider the Saints. Many later-round picks for the Saints probably wouldn't even make the roster. In light of that possibility, does it, does it, doesn't it make sense for the Saints to trade future picks often to get a guy that will actually impact their team? I think... My take on that. Don't we say this? I feel like we say this though, like a lot, where it's like know where you are as a roster. Mm -hmm. Then you can then make plays. But I do think I find myself saying a lot, don't trade up for non-quarterbacks. I think I meant to clarify in the first round is my my take. I I do think trading up inside into into the first 10 picks or into the first 15 picks to go get your guy at a non-quarterback position is probably malpractice. However, day two, day three, when all you're offloading is like future fifths and future fourths, like I don't think there's that big of an issue. And it's also... um, Again, like just like know where you are as a roster. Yeah, last year, the Bucks trading up one spot, and I was yeah. one spot. But we're like, hell yeah, do that. Yeah, like that guy's going to make a massive. That's mm-hmm. a massive difference for you in a, in a window here. And that was only what they gave up. What third? Maybe a fourth? I can't exactly remember. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. Uh, but it's like the Bills when they traded up a future first to go get Sammy Watkins. It's like you're not understanding where you are. Mm-hmm. That first rounder could, is going to be very valuable to you. You need that first rounder. One wide receiver is not going to make that difference. So. I think that's where we say, one, know where you're at as a roster. Two, one guy is often not as much as two guys. But if you're in a position where one guy is the only thing that can be started on your team, then by all means. Yeah, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traded to go at one spot. They gave the Niners the 117th pick. Okay. And then the Niners gave them back the 245th pick. So you're swapping roughly over 100 slots. But I do think that... But even if they would have moved up farther than that, Mm -hmm. I would have been for it because of, obviously, where that roster was. They knew they were close. And they had a whale falling. Tristan Wirfs, what a legend. All right. This is CLB Bill. All day in school, I do mock drafts and play around with different ways my favorite team the giants can fill their holes in the draft in one scenario i have the giants trading back from 11 into the 20s then using a future second rounder and later draft capital to trade back up into the first to get a second pick in the 20s i have them taking phillips jalen phillips and rashad bateman wide receiver minnesota with those picks on the 20s with the land with then landing alabama center landon dickerson kentucky linebacker jamin davis in the second as well as byu offensive tackle who's on today's podcast brady christensen in the third in another scenario i have them trading Dude, this guy's a monster. I love yeah. it. I have them trading from 11 into the 20s, then using their fourth and fifth and both sixth round picks to acquire second and third round picks. Where they take Rashad Bateman, Minnesota, Kelvin, oh no, Joseph Asai, edge defender, Oklahoma State, Landon Dickerson, Alabama center, Creed Humphrey, Oklahoma center, interior offensive line, and Jamin Davis, Kentucky linebacker. I'm lost. Jamin. I'm lost. I'm lost. Which scenario do you like better? And what are your thoughts on the Giants trading back from 11 to grab Bateman? Thanks. Love the pod. Man, that guy's in his that guy's in school just grinding, dude. His teacher's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, don't worry about it." I like the first one where you got Phillips, Bateman, Dickerson, Davis. I think Brady Christensen. That's a lot. It's a lot yeah. of talent. It's fair. Um, now, realism of these on the low end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jamin Davis thing is going to go higher than people think. Yeah, but trading back, yeah, like the 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 teams from like ten to fourteen. That's when the draft starts to be like real crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Real like the the guys who are there aren't like objectively better players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're really just and I would put that range about from twelve on the PFF draft board to about 
28 on the PFF draft board. It's like, man, that's not a huge difference. There's not a lot in just in terms of the quality of prospect at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if someone wants to give you a second to move up, say, hell yeah, give me a second. Give me another guy that I can take a swing at in this draft class of more unknowns than ever. So it's just going to take two to tango is the always thing we say about trades that George sometimes doesn't say about trades when he keeps saying trade back. Well, it's like, yeah, someone's got last year's draft show. Any team takes any player. They should have traded back. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I mean, to be fair though, I mean, you get the understanding of it, but it does take two to tango does take two to tango. All right. This is from John nine, 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 nine. What would be the difference? And I'm going to shout out bill again. Don't quit bill. You're in school, running mock drafts. Don't stop. Keep running it. Love to see it. You freaking love to see it. This is from John nine 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 nine. Kid, if that existed, what would be the difference in where the Giants would be today if they took Josh Allen over Daniel Jones, like most Giants fans wanted? Draft position this year, last year, etc. Let me start. You'd have okay. Go. I don't know how good he would be because if you don't commit like they did with Brian Dable in this offense, and they do what they've done with Daniel Jones. No, no, no. Josh what? Allen, the defensive end. Oh, oh, I thought they meant, I thought, I was like confused. I thought they meant um, no. so, the Wyoming quarterback. <laughs> let me start. Um, you would have probably been drafting in the same spot last year, fourth overall. And you would have taken Justin Herbert. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. flat out would have. That's who, I mean, Dave Gettleman would have kicked his pants for Justin Herbert. So. Yeah. I thought he meant Josh Allen, the Wyoming quarterback. No, um, that, that's probably where you'd be. Now, maybe they would have won a few more games, maybe been out of the Herbert sweepstakes. Because then Eli Manning would have started that whole year instead of, I think, what did he get? Four games. And then uh, Daniel Jones came in. But yeah, I, I think you probably have Justin Herbert right now, if you honest. That's fair. So that's why we say take quarterback, but only if it's a good quarterback. Like, don't just like take shots at a guy whose upside is the Kirk Cousins. What like, was you know? our grade on Daniel Jones coming out? Uh, he was like in the 30s on our board. So, all right. PFF's unofficial unpaid intern. Lifelong Falcons fan here. Been over, been one ever since I laid eyes on Vic back in the early 2000s. Vic was awesome. We talked about players recently that like got you to love football. Man, that guy was sick. So here's my question. If you're the Falcons at pick four, would you have any real consideration for taking Fields Lance, assuming they're there, and look to rebuild the roster for the future, or snag Kyle Pitts and try to win by solely relying on that offense next year? Yeah. I I'd like I think we just had this take. I'd rather take a quarterback. If you're sitting pat at four, I'd rather take the quarterback just because that value is going to stay mm-hmm. with that guy. And so two years from now, if he shows anything, he has a bomb-ass preseason, you can flip him for a lot. Now, if you're really trying to win here soon, which they should be. like You got Matt Ryan. You should be trying to win here soon. You got a fairly good offense. you just committed roster. to him again. Yeah. You... I wouldn't like hate grabbing Kyle Pitts. I'm not gonna say it's like the worst idea in the world, but you, then you got to hit a lot of defense, and you yeah. don't, you know, you really have to hit on a lot of picks. Then it's gonna make your life a little bit more difficult because you're kind of your cap situation. is no bueno. I really do think they're gonna get enough. They've already gotten calls. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get more calls on draft day after the San Francisco 49ers take whoever they're taking. Right now, they think the betting favorite is Mac Jones at minus 150. Yeah. I would just be floored if you didn't get a good offer. Yeah, that fourth that's what I'm saying. Like, especially if you told people you're on the phone with um, Denver and you're saying, hey, we're going to take a quarterback here unless you want to come up. And they say, let's do it. I guarantee it. Yeah. I guarantee Denver's Cold interested. Bluff. I guarantee New England's interested. They're going to make a play. All right, this is from 
Gail's dad's name. Love that. His name is Vince. Who are some day two GXCV? No, it's not GXCV. Oh, okay. That's my mom's name. (laughs) (laughs) Who are some day two and day three targets for my Dallas Cowboys in the draft? Specifically curious about the single high free safety slam stretch Mike linebacker and the, I think that's three technique or no, one three technique DTs for Quinn's defense. Yes. So single high free safety. Andre Cisco. Let's go. Syracuse. Let us go. He's, I mean, he is like the single high free safety in this class. Now, there's, it's a unique skill set to have that kind of range. You're going to have to coach him up. Might not be able to come in and start right away, but that's that guy. Second round, Mike, I think Nick Bolton will be on the board there. And I would love Nick Bolton to the Dallas Cowboys. That, that would be a hashtag fun to watch. Uh, sort of linebacker in that defense. And then 1-3 techniques. I think Tommy Togiai fits them. Penetrating. That guy can get upfield. That's his bag, the Ohio State defensive tackle. That's a guy I'd look for. Third round, maybe a little high, maybe like fourth, but I, I'm a fan of Tommy Togiai. This is from Sir Obvious. Why does Mike have small calves? <laughs> <laughs> straight up don't have that small of calves. I, if I could like show them here, I really can't because of what I'm wearing right now. Yeah. There's like, you got like a little bifurcation. I recently made an there. investment in the dad gene. I don't know if you go back to the wide shot, Quinn. I don't know if I like it or hate it. What's the dad gene? It like doesn't grip your ankles as tight. I don't know. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to own Shia LaBeouf. I think Shia LaBeouf's energy and Shia LaBeouf's energy and, and style is like You're the intentionally only homeless. <laughs> and LaBeouf, I'm the only one. Shia LaBeouf's not trying to own exactly, Shia LaBeouf's energy. Exactly. But I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to lean into it. Here we are. Um, all right. Enough of this because people listening to the podcast can't see us. Yeah. For Sir Obvious, he asked why your calves are so small. I'd like a comment. And then the other one is also, what does the trade for Sam Darnold change about the way you see the top 10 picks shaking out? I straight up see my calves through my sweatpants. Look at this. This they small. look great. They look great. They're small, but they look good. All right. Can you answer a second question, please? Okay. I'm a little on tilt because of the small calves. What does this, the trade for Sam Darnold change about the way you see the top 10 picks? Yeah. Shaking I out? just think the Panthers' phone is going to be a little quiet now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are out of the move up game now someone falls to them I, I we've seen mock saying that they could still draft quarterback and i wholeheartedly believe that but they're just not going to be moving heaven and earth to do so yep so it's kind of like the Bengals. like so i said about the Bengals trade options i don't think they're trading back anymore um i don't think miami would be flipping with that like they're kind of just out of that this is from barefoot 15 speaking or no we are both avid la- Lions fans, and one day recently I presented him with this scenario. Ta- take a tackle at seven, whether Sewell or Slater. If Elijah Tucker is there, still there at 15, trade both first-rounders next year and a third this year to the Patriots to go up and snag him. <laughs> Other Overnight, we have the best offensive line of football. We will also presumably have some compensatory picks coming our way next year to replace what we gave up. He told me that was simultaneously hilarious, irresponsible, and spectacularly brilliant. I say fortune favors the bold. Then he gave... A much more measured response. Trade. I don't know who he's talking to. His trade brother. down. Huh? His brother. Oh, his I brother. Trade down to 11, get AVT, and then trade a first next year and a third this year to move up into the mid-20s to grab Tevin Jenkins. Which one is better or both complete garbage? You realize your first next year is going to be like a top five pick. Yeah. Your Lions. Do not trade your first next year no matter what, man. No, no. Oh, my God. Uh, they're both complete garbage. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, don't They trade should be trading year. down. They should be looking to trade down if Atlanta... Cincy and Miami doesn't. 
If I mean, and there's still QB4, QB5 on the board. Yeah. Detroit is in a trade down spot. Detroit is going to be, you remember that win totals thing I said? Detroit's win totals right now are five, the second lowest in the NFL. Betting markets see them as the second worst team in the NFL. You don't do anything near a trade up for anything, especially a non quarterback. You train two future firsts for AVT, like how as good as he could be. Could you like, imagine if you trade two future firsts for Elijah Vera Tucker and that ends up the number one overall pick? If you tr- yeah, <laughs> I agree. I mean, you you have to. Uh, here comes back, comes back to self awareness. Where are you at as a roster? Where are you at as a roster? Betting market sees the second worst team in the NFL. The only other team, their quarterback is currently battling twenty two civil lawsuits that I think are going criminal. So you're a half win better than them. Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, but I, I mean that's no. just that's what it is. Yeah. I think the Lions need to be trading back if there's a QB on the market and Denver wants to come up, New England wants to come up. That's that's where they should be. Or take the best player there. Yeah. Doesn't matter what position. I prefer the valuable ones. Yeah. All right, jumping to Collins 007, triple O seven. What would be considered best case scenario for the Cardinals on draft night? Is it to trade up for one of the big three pits? One of the big three slash pits. I think they mean receivers. Yeah. Or stay up and take the best available. It's tough because they're trying, they're pushing the chips. Yeah. And so like a Jalen Waddle, they could be the team I could see move up for a Jalen Waddle. Yeah. And I wouldn't hate it. It's a unique skill set. So, like, if they're, you know, pick 11, we're saying who's going to trade back with the Giants? It could be the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. They could say, hey, John Wall's on the board. I want him. No one's going to come close to what he brings to the table. Andy Isabella ain't ain't bringing that. Um, So, that's if you're going to move up for anyone, that's what I would do. But otherwise, pray one of those wide receivers falls because – or a cornerback, because you definitely need a cornerback here as well. Man, I, I agree that they're like they're in a position where, you know, this is our time to push. I don't know if I like the idea of them trading up. Maybe something we haven't talked about enough, I don't think. With Jalen Waddle, size and age. He gets brought up a ton with Devontae Smith. And Jalen Waddles isn't like markedly worse or maybe as close, but six foot one ninety, I think is what he weighed in at. And he's he's also like the same exact age. I think separated by a couple of days as Devontae Smith. Yeah. I don't know why Devontae Smith gets all this negative attention for his weight. Obviously, he's like one of the lightest guys, but Jalen Waddle doesn't. Like Jalen Waddle's also light. Like he's also a very light receiver. I guess different speed or what? So he's also he's like 5'10, 183. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. different than True. six foot one sixty-six by a lot, in my opinion. <laughs> like it is just very different. Now he is on the lighter side for the position, but it's also like that's much closer to what Tyreek Hill is mm-hmm. than Is it? Yeah, I'm interested to know how big, how much Tyreek Hill weighs, what his playing weight is, because obviously his list of weight could be different. But so 183, someone was making 10, the comment. Okay, so that's like yeah, right in that range. Um, do you think you're going to continue to see lighter receivers like this dominate? Like where, where you're valuing speed, you're valuing separation, you're valuing four three forties at pro days and stuff like that. Uh, that's a good question. I think NFL is more equipped now to take advantage of those guys than ever before. That there's a role now in an offense like three wide is the norm, and that third guy he's getting a free release he's off the line of scrimmage um you could he's running jet sweeps like he's that speed is going to play in ways that just if you don't run four three it's not going to play yeah so i think teams are doing better taking better job taking advantage of it now can you build a receiving core out of just those guys uh, probably not fair but i do think that that's an increased role at the receiver position and it's increasing in value last question here Last question of the pre-draft mailbag that we're going to reset and attack post-draft mailbag mm-hmm. questions here. Um, the other thing I'll say about 
Jalen or the receivers getting smaller and stuff, I do think that you're going to start to see again defenses and teams prioritize getting defensive backs that have speed and guys that can stick with these guys. You know, I think you're going to see more teams do that. All right, this is from more dime personnel, more nickel, all that stuff. All right, this is from Ajax one six two four with Gregory Russo's stiffness. Could you see a team drafting him to play five tech in a three four? Does he have the frame to add weight to two ninety three hundred? I've seen some comparisons to Clayus Campbell. Thoughts on that, and where do you draft that kind of prospect? I'm surprised he didn't. Honestly, remember we talked to him before. Yeah, he said Clayus Campbell's a guy he watches a ton of and yeah. can get to that caliber of weight. And yeah, he said he could, but he only came at two sixty six as pro day, so he kind of middled in terms of like edge versus interior. I think that's his best. Like I think that's his best bet is playing five tech inside three tech dude like six foot six 280 290 he's just a monster because that's where he dominated yeah like, that is where he dominated so if he you know 15 pounds I, I definitely not out of the realm of possibility for a 21 year old like he'd get up in the 280 range that's a that's good conversation for Greg Rousseau we've had yeah. him on two times on this podcast maybe we get him on a third time and and see where teams want to play him after he gets drafted whatever it may be um that's gonna do it though that's gonna do it for the last listener mailbag the bonus listener mailbag we're now gonna jump to interviews with former BYU off the tackle Brady Christensen and former Florida off the tackle Storm Stone Forsyth now joining the 2-4-1 Drafts podcast is former BYU offensive tackle also PFF's highest graded offensive tackle in the country in 2020 brady christensen brady great to have you on the show thank you appreciate it excited to be on the show you know i'm, I'm glad to be here yeah man it's sweet you had an absolutely insane season this past year with byu so did a lot of those players dax milne obviously zach wilson kairos tongue there's a lot of really successful players coming out of byu you definitely one of them and you're coming off to one of the better pro days for many offensive tackle this offseason as well talk to me about you know your training process and kind of what your expectations were going into that pro day and then maybe what's what's been some of the feedback from teams after that pro day or maybe even through the zoom calls that you've had so far yeah, so leading up to it, I knew I was going to have a killer pro day. Um, I went down to Dallas, Texas, and trained down at Michael Johnson's performance. They really prepared me, and I really worked my tail off uh, to be ready for it. I, we had a couple mock combines, so I kind of knew where my numbers were. But really, I hit all my goals and kind of exceeded them with what I wanted to get. I think a lot of adrenaline going and a lot of teams there. Um, I felt like I did really good. I just wanted really to show that. I belong in the conversation of elite tackles. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm there. I feel like athletically I'm there. And so that was my goal. I'm um, going into pro day. And, and I know that if I was, I knew I was, if I was going to kill it, teams are going to go back and watch my film and rewatch and kind of be like, are we missing something, you know? And so mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to get accomplished uh, um, at the, at the pro day. And I feel like a lot of teams have been reaching out um, after that, you know, talking to me, interviewing me, going through installs. I feel like I've gotten a, um, a lot of good progress going after that for sure that's awesome man I definitely think you know it forced me to go back to the tape honestly I know Mike was talking about it as well like going back to the tape and seeing you know where that athleticism was on display you weighed in at six foot six 302 is that is that the weight you're comfortable playing at is that the weight you played at this past season did you work up to that I'd be interested to know you know where your playing weight is and maybe what weight you want to be at in the NFL yeah I played about 300 302 um last year I feel comfortable here, but I feel like I, I got up to about 306. So I, I've been ranging the last uh, few months. My highest was 308. Mm -hmm. And so I feel good there too. I feel like I can play 310. You know, it's kind of up to the coaches, kind of who I go play for, what kind of scheme I'm playing for, whether I want to stay here or, or gain weight type of thing. So we'll kind of see, but I feel comfortable here and gaining weight. 
To hit on some of the other numbers for the listeners, 34-inch vertical, 95th percentile among offensive tackles, 124-inch broad, 100th percentile, 489, 40-yard dash, 96th percentile. And then the, what was wild to me, man, was the change of direction drill. Short shuttle, 446, 94th percentile, 7333 cone, that's 95th percentile. That was, dude, you just, again, just put on an absolute stellar day. But I'm sure, you know, the number that gets brought up a ton, you know, when you're trying to you're going to the NFL with offensive tackles is, is arm length. Coming at 32 and a quarter, you know, teams have this like kind of cut off at 33 inches. I remember I interviewed Jonah Williams when he was coming out and he couldn't, he couldn't go to the podium at the combine without talking about his arm length. Every single question was about his arm length. And I was like, he's like, dude, I don't want to talk about this anymore. If my arms were like a half inch longer, no one even bring it up. Like all this different stuff. What has been, you know, what has been some of the, you know, I'm sure working with other offensive linemen, working with offensive line coaches, and then talking to teams in the NFL, what is their opinion of arm length? Is there this actual cutoff? Where they're like, oh yeah, 32 and a quarter inch arms. There's no way you're playing tackle. I mentioned to know like what feedback you've gotten on that and what your opinion on it is overall yeah i mean like some teams like make fun you know jab at you a little bit i haven't got a bunch of feedback that mm -hmm. it's a cutoff for teams you know I, and like like jonah was probably saying to me like you can't really control your arm length so <laughs> i wasn't worried about that you know it's yeah. not, like you know i was stretching and stuff and you know trying to get the extra little bit mm -hmm. but i think it's like either you can play the position or you can't type of thing um and so that's what that's kind of my thought process and and I, there's so many different ways to block the ends and at, at tackle and stuff mm -hmm. that I, I just feel like you got to find your strengths and find what you're really good at to be able to lock down these defenders. And, and if you got long arms, use them. Great. If not, then you got to find different ways. Great. You know, I, I don't think it's a, a big issue either way. Yeah. When I was talking to Jonah, I'm sure you feel this way as well. I was like, Hey, you know, I, I know it's, I know it's not going to limit me, but I also understand that it's not, it's a weakness compared to guys with 35, 36 inch arms. And where I make up for it is in the film room where I wake up for it. It was with my footwork and these different types of things. Like you have to, you know, identify ways. I mean, he's saying that he worked with Joe Staley a ton, talked to David Bakhtiari guys that like don't necessarily have like, you know, the biggest wingspans in the world. And they constantly bring up just finding your edges elsewhere, yeah, exactly. finding your, finding your strengths elsewhere. But I, I find that conversation really interesting. Um, I think it's a good transition to talk about, you know, what you do in a given game week or a practice week to prepare for an upcoming opponent. When you're looking at a defensive end or an edge defender or even a defense, what are you looking for on film from a take, you know, from a keys or um, tells type of way, or I'm trying to look for the word here, but what do you, what do you look for on film as a, you know, kind of opportunities or takeaways to take with you into a game? Yeah. So one thing I'm really looking at when I'm studying specific DNs, pass rushing is all about rhythm. Um, how they throw, when they throw, what foot they throw. So whether their left foot is up foot uh, up, or the right foot, it's all about rhythm. And then when they throw. So like, I always look at keys, like, do they throw on three? Is their inside move on the first step because their left foot is up? Or can they go inside because their outside foot is up? Can they go inside right away? Just like different things like that to find out their rhythm. And then also to kind of, I study their like go-to moves. So it's obvious passing situations. Are they a big two-hand, um, rip, a big two-hand two rip guy? Are they whip, uh, rip and, and swipe type of thing? Just, just really studying though and see those specific um, pass rush moves is what I'm really looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and then not given like the, the defensive end, what they want, you know, do they, do they love throwing against that outside hand? And if they do, you know, they love that two-hand swipe and I'm throwing that outside hand, maybe I'm going to throw an inside hand, you know, just really studying that, the rhythm and trying to give them what they want, you know, try not to give what they want and, and really switch it up is uh, what I'm really looking for. 
I, I'm used to, tell, uh, to hear you talk more about how you kind of set up different things, because I think a lot of people bring up pass rushers kind of setting up pass rush moves, but also offensive tackles will set things up by, you know, doing different um, doing different drops and those types of things. How, how often are you playing that kind of mental side of it where you have to kind of play chess a little bit against a player? Oh, all the time, you know. I'm, basically, at BYU, we basically had four different sets, and I was switching them up all the time, you know, whether it be a jump set, making a wide nine, a five, you know, getting on, on them real quick, um, C-setting, there's which is just a vertical set. I'm just doing all these different sets to really throw out that rhythm, like I was saying before. Because if they don't ever get in a rhythm in a game, they're always kind of second-guessing what's going on, what you're doing, instead of what they're doing. Um, and that's when you know you have the defensive end, is when they're focusing more on you rather than focusing on their move or their rhythm. And I think that that set versatility you have on film only comes with athleticism. Like you can't do that that level of you know set you you can't have that level of set versatility without having the feet and the footwork and the you know, overall speed and athleticism that you do have. That's a tip of the cap to you, my friend. I would look, I'd be interested to know know more about how um, how much that film preparation or film study has changed in the off season. Have you had any opportunity to maybe go back and watch more film on yourself? Watch film on guys in the NFL, maybe guys that you pattern your game after. Yeah, I watch a bunch of guys in the offseason, even in college, uh, of guys in the league, you know, that I really feel that are, are like, similar to me, similar traits. Like, I watch, like you were saying, guys with short arms. I watch David Bakhtiari a lot. I watch Ryan Gramchek a lot. Um, I even watch Garrett Bowles a lot. He's from Utah, so just down the road. Um, just watching those guys, seeing what they do really well um, and seeing how they have their edge and then trying to add that to my game. Um people always talk about like offensive linemen you need a toolbox mm -hmm. of like all the different things you can throw at people and so that's what I'm doing this offseason is seeing if I can just add anything to my game uh, that will help me be successful at the next level what, what do you feel like really separates you in this offensive tackle class obviously a stellar athlete graded really really well the production there is there at BYU but what do you feel like your biggest strength or your biggest separator is for you in this offensive tackle class yeah I feel like my athleticism first off separates me I feel like I mean at pro day uh we were talking about the numbers and mm -hmm. I actually wore, wore my Kobe's you know to try to get you know nice Kobe. love that that's a fantastic call I love that call <laughs> I wore my Kobe Grinches you know for the burn and stuff just to get a little <laughs> get a little extra athleticism in there you know and so I, re I really want to show that and I feel like I'm as good as athlete as anyone in this in this draft uh class as far as offensive linemen um and then my IQ too I feel like my football IQ uh, I feel like I'm playing a step ahead based on that film study, based on seeing defenses and, and, and their tendencies. I feel like I have a really good pickup of that and kind of almost sense what they're going to do before the ball is actually snapped. Um, and I feel like that really separates me from, from this offensive tackle class for sure. This is another good question, too. I've talked to a lot of players about like what NFL teams are asking them in these Zoom calls and, and in this preparation for the NFL draft. And I know a lot of them have, you know, have guys go up on the whiteboard and have them go up and on the film room and show them what you do. Is that kind of the most common use of that time? Or are there other questions or other things that teams are asking you in those meetings? I think the majority of what I've gotten is offensive line coaches want to see how you learn mm -hmm. and how you pick up things. Because in college, everyone's coached differently, and that's part of college. That's part of life. Everyone's going to be different. So they want to see if you can pick up their scheme. So they're going to do an install, a play, an inside zone, or a pass protection, a six-man pass protection with their calls, and they're, they're going to kind of quiz you at the end and see how you pick up things and how you learn and see if you can get a grasp of it in a short amount of time.
Um, and that's what I've gotten the most. Obviously, people ask about your plays and stuff and watch your film, seeing what you're doing, see if you have a good knowledge of your offense. But I think it's a good combination of both, seeing if you have a good knowledge of your offense, but also able to learn a new scheme uh, relatively quickly, I think is what they're really, really looking for. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about Zach Wilson. I'm interested for you to give me a story on Zach Wilson. Could be from practice, could be in the <laughs> locker room. I'm interested. So this guy has been overanalyzed since January. I want to hear a story from you, <laughs> one of his teammates. We, we were also joking about how bland his fucking Chipotle order was in that tweet. I mean, guy needs to step it up. Put some hot sauce on it, all right? Come on, have it, some queso, some guac. All right, anyway, give, give, me, a, give me a good story and, and, and talk about Zach Wilson as a player and as a teammate. Man, I think uh, one thing that, he isn't talked about enough is just his competitiveness um one night he, he we were having kind of like a game night uh and we were playing this game called secret hitler um and it's a game where you know you have like the good team and the bad team and then secret hitler and you're trying to figure out who everyone is and you're lying <laughs> about it and that game got so competitive we were yelling <laughs> at each other you know cursing at each other telling that like whatever telling the line and he was getting into it and i'm a competitive guy too i was getting into it and it was just like, it really kind of dawned on me that like, man, there's a reason why guys make it to where they're at. It's just, I think that competitive spirit is, is huge and, and he's got it. Um, so I, I don't really care where he goes or where he ends up in the draft. He's going to be successful based on, based on that alone. Obviously he's got the work ethic and everything else, but he, he's a really competitive guy. What's wild to me is that I've asked, you know, I've asked a former a Clemson player that same question. Give me a story about Trevor Lawrence. And both of you guys have brought up times where you're not playing football. You're playing some game. He was playing dodgeball with Trevor Lawrence. And you bring up just how freaking competitive these guys are, like how much they just turn it on. They turn it on regardless. It was yes. dodgeball. Clemson plays dodgeball, apparently. And Trevor Lawrence would just not, like, refuse to lose in dodgeball, which obviously <laughs> has he has some skills to do that as well. But as simple as a board game or a small game like Adam, I mean, um, uh, secret Hitler to see Zach Wilson really turn it on like that does speak to the competitive fire. Absolutely, man. Um, well, I really appreciate the time, dude. This has been fantastic. I'd like to finish with this one if we could. I, I asked all the players this, but you know, what is your motivation? What what's driving your competitive fire? Why are you know what's your why or you know why you're you know continue to make the sacrifices you do to pursue a career in the NFL and continue to play this game? I think I have two big whys. I, I love the game more than anything. I felt like I was made to play the game of football. I love it. Um, but second off, uh, I have a wife and a beautiful child uh, just born a month ago, a little baby boy. Congratulations, man. Um, thank you. And so, man, even doing that pro day, I, I was thinking about my little baby boy and, and just like I just got so much more motivated because of him and just doing it for him and, and my wife. Um, it's That's definitely my why. And I'm excited to keep going and see where uh, this leads us for sure. Fantastic stuff, man. I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is former Florida offensive tackle Stone Forsythe. Stone, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I want to start with, you know, just this past season and kind of how you've developed at Florida, something that PFF has noticed specifically in pass protection. You have improved as a pass blocker every year of your career at Florida, specifically over the past two seasons, playing over 800 snaps on offense for Florida. What what has been, you know, kind of the biggest driver behind kind of your improvement and your development at Florida into one of the better offensive tackles in the SEC? Um, I definitely kind of say it's a uh, confidence, kind of being confident out there. Um, just kind of tell myself, that if I'm if I'm on my game, I can kind of be one of the best out there. So it's kind of sitting in the back of my head, and um, 
not everyone's too good at pass, so it's kind of a big focus I would focus on and just try to try to be better at that. And this past season, we passed the ball a lot. And uh, so it was just kind of big emphasis on that and just trying to get the ball off so everyone else can do their job. You know, in the meetings that you've had with NFL teams so far, what have been kind of the common pieces of feedback you've received from teams about your game, both positive and negative, maybe areas you want, uh, you know, they want you to improve? Um, they all they all like my pass game. They all like the length, kind of how I use my punch, kind of keep those guys off me. And um, a big common area kind of everyone knows is just kind of in the run game, just kind of getting movement at the point of attack and just kind of holding those angles. So it's kind of been a big focus this offseason for me. And, and how do you, you know, you know, you know, explain more about how you get better in the run game. Is it, you know, obviously a lot of it is technique, but also getting stronger in your lower half. You're one of the, one of the bigger, taller offensive tackles in this class, six foot eight, uh, coming in at six foot eight recently. How do you get better in the run game? What specifically have you been working on to kind of move people up and down the line of scrimmage? Um, just kind of specific stuff in the weight room and then just kind of changing the angles uh, in the run game. They kind of, kind of some of the guys I've been working out with here, they kind of said like some of the steps I'd take in college, like I'd be in the backfield in the NFL. So it's just kind of changing those up and just kind of getting your hips on that angle and holding those angles. Gotcha, man. I'd be interested to hear more too in, in pass protection. I talked to a lot of offensive tackles and, you know, they talk about, you know, having set versatility, being able to do jump sets and C sets and these different types of things. And in addition to that, you have to kind of, you have to play to the pass rusher a little bit. You know, people mm -hmm. always say pass rushers set up their moves. Offensive tackles can do that too with their sets and how they have set versatility. I'd be interested to know, you know, what goes through your head in a given game, you know, what you're doing against a pass rusher. How do you set up certain things? How do you avoid, you know, getting beat by certain moves and that type of stuff? Um, I feel like definitely for me, it's just going to come with kind of film study earlier in the week and just kind of picking out things they would do and kind of if they have a different foot placement or like if a foot's back or something like that or different hand placement. So it's kind of just picking up on those keys and kind of knowing what they'll do before that happens. And then um, just kind of just based off of formations, the kind of if I have a tight end attached or kind of just a run cell or anything like that, if he's a little tighter, I might just go get on him, just kind of play the run rather than if he's like a wide, I'll just go mm -hmm. get back vertical and he has to get to the quarterback at some point. Talk more about your process in a given practice week or game week, what you're looking for on film. You know, are you watching a certain pass, every, every pass rush of a certain player? Are you watching just his third down reps? It means to know the different cut-ups that you do. I know certain offensive tackles will go back and watch every single game, what he does as a pass rusher, what he does on second down and third down. Others will look even to previous years. I've used to know kind of what you do to identify those tells or those keys and takeaways on tape. I uh, just kind of look at the cut-ups throughout the week, uh, kind of inside zone, outside zone cut-ups, kind of gap schemes, kind of any play actions kind of based on our formations. And then um, kind of later in the week, I just – I'd watch like one or two games of the previous week and just watch mm -hmm. the whole game and just kind of see how they play throughout the game and kind of if they – how they get tired throughout the game or kind of anything, take plays off, kind of backside or anything like that and just kind of pick up on keys they have. Who are some of the better pass rushers you've gone against in the SEC? Who are guys that you kind of still think about as guys that kind of gave you the best competition? Um, I'd say definitely Ojalary from uh, Georgia this past season, and then Chase on from LSU a few years ago, uh, Derek Brown from Auburn a few years ago. So some of those guys, um, the kid from Oklahoma, the DN this year was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Nick Benito, uh, right? Nick Benito, or, or are you taking Ronnie Perkins? Uh, I think Perkins. Okay, gotcha. Um, and, and the other the other part, I think, with offensive tackles and pass rushers, I'd say corners and receivers as well, because you see the same player, the same opposition so often, there's kind of this opportunity to play in the mental side of it as well. I know a lot of you know those positions like to talk trash and kind of get into people's heads. What, what's your approach to that side of the game? Uh, they can talk all they want. I'm not going to talk back. I mean, I'm not worried about any of that. Uh, if that's what they do, that's fine. They can psych themselves out, but they're not going to get into my head. So I'll just, yeah, just keep to myself.
Fair enough, man. Uh, how much has your kind of film study changed this offseason or as you prepare for the draft? Have you had opportunities to you know, turn on the tape of yourself and kind of critique your own game or even watch guys in the NFL that you, you, know, you really like or kind of want to pattern your game after? Um, I watch a lot. I kind of watch a lot of myself and NFL guys. Um, I'm kind of the biggest critic of myself. So I'll look back on it and say some of it sucks, but it might not to some other people. So that's just myself. Um, but I kind of watch some of the NFL guys. I watch Ronnie Stanley and there's another big tackle, kind of see how he moves. And then just kind of McGlinchey from the 49ers, just other six, eight tackles to see how they move. Gotcha. Really appreciate the time, man. We can finish with this one. I'd love to hear your primary motivation or your why behind, you know, your interest in continue to pursue this game, to make the sacrifices you need to, to play college football at a high level, to train for the NFL, to play in the NFL and, and continue to play, uh, continue to play football at the next level. I definitely say it's a big family influence. Uh, my dad played college ball in the NFL for a little bit. So just kind of having him as an influence growing up him being kind of one of my coaches early on and then kind of sister being an uh, athlete. So it's just kind of big, just family competition. We're all competitive. So it's keeping, keeping the family kind of name going, uh, making our name for ourselves. And just kind of just kind of just trying to set the family up for uh, best success down the road and stuff like that. I think I saw that your dad, Ray, played for the Cincinnati Bengals for some time. Pro Football Focus is actually based in Cincinnati. I'll right. tell you this. I'll tell you this, man. If you follow in your father's footsteps and get drafted by the Bengals, eat as much Mexican food as you can because the food Excellent. here in Cincinnati is just absolutely atrocious. There is not <laughs> There is not a lot of – I mean, you're coming from Florida too. Florida has yeah. really, really good, yeah, good you know, food. Latin American food. Cincinnati, man, like here's, here's what you need to know. They're, what they're known for is Skyline Chili, and that might yeah. argue, arguably be the worst chili in the country. So it's just that bad. You know, if you get drafted yeah. by the Bengals, load up on food before you get here. But All thanks right. again for uh, jumping on the podcast, man. I really appreciate your time. All right, anytime. The end of an era. The 2021 NFL Draft mailbag season is closed. If you did not get your question answered, whether it was international or American, send me a screenshot of it or micro screenshot of it in Twitter DMs, and I will answer it. And it'll be thoughtful. It'll be thoughtful. We're going to get to it, and we're probably going to reset the mailbags in the summer. This has been a hell of a mailbag season. We're really excited about it. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Safaro, Mike Renner, 2-4 Drafts.